0: Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah.
1: And I'm Tracy. And we're here to talk today about the relational side of what we do.
2: Right. Because we have been talking and reading so much these last months about connection and disconnection in the brain, the nervous system, and how our relationships with everyone in our lives affect our biobehavioral states and our neurological
1: health. Yes. And we'd like to share some stories and ideas today that will help you understand your own neurophysiology better as it's deeply connected to your relationships.
2: Right. And I think you have an exercise to get us going on that.
1: That's right. So I started my and not Banyo method neuromovement training. Yeah. And in that class, and not led us through a connection exercise that was very simple and it was just having one person describe something or talk about something while the other person was just listening Mm -hmm. so one thing I'm very curious about as we've gone through putting together this Reconceive Radio show Mm -hmm. is what has it been like for you? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. Okay. Well, what it's been like for me, I think it's changing. It's uh, It started out as something that I thought would be easy to do because I have all this content in my head that I think um, other therapists need to know about, other helpers need to know about. Um, so I just... I I pictured writing it all down and then us talking about it. But what I'm coming to realize is that it's morphing and changing and evolving. I I can no sooner write it down than it changes and it turns into something else. So I guess I'm just learning. Um, My learning curve is really steep right now, putting lots of stuff together, which is really cool.
1: Nice. Nice. So it sounds like uh, this experience is mercurial. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> mercurial, right and And that reminds me of moods. And you know there are moods with it too, kind of fear, a little bit of fear and nervousness, um but also excitement. Um, so I'll take it. It's the opposite of death,
1: right? That's right.
2: <laughs> it's being really
0: alive,
1: I agree. So, the experience for me has been very similar. Mm-hmm. So, over the past, um, well, really since 2017, I started studying things about body work that really aren't widely known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I keep thinking I want, I want more people to know about what I'm doing. So when you invited me to be the co-host, I thought, "Oh, this will be fun and easy." And but I've found out it's it's more challenging than, challenging than I expected.
2: Yeah.
1: Which has been good. It's made me um, really clarify for myself what I'm experiencing ah. and what I'm wanting other people to know about.
2: Yeah. So having to put it in words to talk with our listeners has allowed you to know what you know. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, much more clearly than I would otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know, caused me to read more. Mm -hmm. And I already read a lot anyway, but Mm -hmm. read more in a very focused way so I could pull out the things that I want to share with other people.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's been focusing.
1: Very, very mm-hmm. focusing.
2: Awesome.
1: Also mercurial.
2: Also mercurial.
1: So you focus and things right. kind of scatter. Yeah. And I think before every podcast, oh, I hope I can bring that thought back uh-huh. in and this thought back in. But I also, on the other hand, have experienced this real divide where If I try to follow our notes Uh and listen to the conversation, Mm -hmm. I kind of get this division that can be disruptive to, you know, the continuity of the show.
2: That's really well said. See, this is why I love talking to you about these things. You pull out something like that. Yeah, a divided self feeling of trying to watch the clock and trying to look at the words and, Oh, I can't forget to say this, but then also we're having this conversation that's causing us to learn things. And I don't want to miss out on it.
1: Right. And the conversation is what kind of promotes a flow state. Yes. And that's the enjoyable part of doing this podcast Yeah, is that feeling of conversation and flow.
2: That is exactly why we're here today to talk about relationship. The flow state is exactly what we're hoping for when we connect with somebody.
1: Yes. And not just somebody other than us. The flow state of uh, relationship within ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this, we're promoting the Coming home to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things we're promoting. But when wh- what I felt is when we actually do the podcast, it's easy to feel a separation of self. Yes. Because one part of me wants to follow the notes.
2: Yeah. And
1: one part of me wants to follow the conversation.
2: Right. And
1: it's very challenging for me to do both.
2: It is very challenging. Right. Okay. So do you feel more connected? I do. You do? I I do. do. Thank you for that. Yeah. So now I have a limerick.
1: Okay. Perfect. Okay.
2: There once was a middle-aged shrink who was suddenly unable to think. She decided instead to empty her head and chase the neighborhood mink. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. I got to
1: fill in the (laughs) mink part because uh, on my run the other day, I saw a mink playing in the creek near my home.
2: Yeah. And I said, are you sure it wasn't a badger?
1: (laughs) Right. No badgers in Southwest Missouri.
2: Didn't know that. Well, okay. So a shout out to Dr. Amy Banks, who was going to be joining us live this morning, and we'll have her on at a later date. She's an expert in the... the neuropsychology of relationship, um, the neurophysiology of relationship. She's a psychiatrist in Massachusetts um, who's written a number of books. We're going to be talking to her later in this series. But um, yeah, Tracy and I are going to talk about relationship today. And I think you have another exercise, Boris.
1: I do. But since you mentioned Amy Banks, um, I wanted to talk briefly You know, like Deborah said, I hope she's able to come on our show in the future. Yeah. I've been reading her book, Wired to Connect, Um, and it has brought so many things um, into a kind of a clearer view for me. mm -hmm. So she has something called the Care Plan, which stands for Calm Accepted Resonance. Energy,
2: yeah.
1: And one of the things since we started by talking about putting on this radio show, after we recorded our first show, <laughs> I got <had> a whiplash. <laughs> I had this idea. Well, I watched it because we recorded it for YouTube, or we recorded the video, um, and I watched it, and all I could think was, "Wow." I look like I'm not very uh, comfortable. Oh, that's right. And so I talked to Deborah about it, and we decided to come up with this new configuration. Now I'm much more comfortable, Mm -hmm. and that comfort has a very calming effect on Mm me. Mm -hmm.
2: Right. Instead of sitting in the hard plastic chairs at the hard plastic table, uh, we're in softer chairs, And what else is different? We're, we took away the
1: table. We did different lighting. We have a different camera angle. Mm -hmm. It just feels so much more comfortable than our first recording. Right. And, you know, as a therapist, we've talked about this. We talked about it with one of our guests that'll be on in the future. First and foremost, for a helper, you need to be comfortable in order to help the person that's come to you.
2: Yeah, that's a big deal. Feeling comfortable in your body, sitting comfortably, if you're sitting, having on something that doesn't bind you or chafe you, (laughs) Uh, breathing deeply, not holding your breath,
1: all of all of these things are so important, but it it was it was never taught to me very it was taught a little bit in massage school i'm a I'm a body worker, and they would talk about stacking your joints to protect your body from future injury. but they never stress the importance of comfort because everybody's perception of danger is different. So if you feel uncomfortable, you might be moving into a biobehavioral state that does not promote health growth and restoration.
2: Right. And that could affect relationship moment by moment by moment without our even realizing it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of things. Uh, uh, and then the main thing I want to... Tell people about that I discovered from reading Amy's book, Wired to Connect, is the second part of the care plan accepted. Mm -hmm. So I have never really fully grasped the importance of relationship and human connection uh, with other humans until I read Amy's book and she Mm -hmm. talked about the pain that we feel when we're excluded,
2: yeah, ostracism,
1: yes, and the the contrast, my perception of the difference right, my remembering what it feels like to be ostracized, yeah, yeah. made me really understand the importance of relationship, yeah. So thank you, Amy Banks.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All of of her books illustrate that, I think. And and we'll be talking more about that later. Um, So do we want to do a come home to the body exercise?
1: Yes. So this exercise, it's very simple. um, But it also illustrates the importance of the relationship with yourself. Because... I I was reading Gabor Mate's book, and he talks a lot about diseases created by a separation of self. Right. So anytime you do these exercises, you want to really pay attention to what it feels like as you're doing them. And then we'll tie this exercise into polyvagal theory, specifically the uh, uh, vagal break on the heart. Which is the smart vagus nerve, slows our heart rate when we feel safe. Mm-hmm. And when you're breathing, that vagal break that slows your heart rate happens as you exhale. So if you exhale longer than you inhale, it'll have a calming effect on the body. Mm-hmm. And then also during the pandemic, I read James Nestor's book, Breathe. And he talks about how when you inhale through your left nostril, you're actually activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest nervous system. Yeah. So what I want you to do is... Pay attention to the feeling of air going in and out of your nostrils. I want you to breathe in. Just take a short inhale through your left nostril. And then you can breathe out however you want, but make sure you're breathing out longer than you breathe in. And then breathe in. And then as you breathe out, feel the air going out through your nostrils breathe in one more time through your left nostril and then breathe out longer than you breathe in and that has a very can have a very calming effect on your body oh
2: it's like magic
1: it works beautifully and and
2: i'm reminded that a yoga teacher once said that if i'm having trouble falling asleep i should cover my right nostril and just breathe through the left for a while, and that that does work. That does help me fall asleep.
1: Yes, and I've had clients who have a heart rate that's too low, so you could do the opposite. You could breathe in through your right nostril to stimulate your sympathetic nervous system and help elevate your heart rate and also breathe in longer than you breathe out. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's our come home to the body exercise for the day.
2: Thank you, Tracy. Well, um, so we're going to talk about some stories from our lives um, to really get into the thick of this relationship topic. And so, again, we're, as you know, we're speaking to helpers of all stripes. We're speaking to therapists, mental health and body therapists. We're speaking to physicians, Um, nurses, social workers, teachers, anybody who's in a helping role. And today we're talking about your relationship life um, and bringing that into the consulting room or the clinic or wherever you're working, but really focusing on relationship in your life and how you do it. So we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about attachment. We're going to talk about limbic resonance. These are all key terms um, for our conversation today. So should we start with personal stories? Let's get personal.
1: Okay. So I'll let you start by telling a story. (laughs) No pressure. So tell us about a time in your life where you felt disconnected or isolated or even ostracized. You can uh, mention the impact that it had on you. And as you think of it now, what do you feel? And then also, how did this experience shape or change you?
2: You know, i I looked at this question yesterday and and millions of things came to mind. And today, I kind of blanked my mind. And so as you're reading the question, one thing stood out, it just popped in and here it is. This is from the eighth grade and (laughs) so, okay, this is an eighth grade um, peer story, of course. Um, And some of you may have already read my book, Wife Material, and I talked about this incident in Wife Material, which is an um, autobiographical novel of me growing up uh, in the Church of Christ and going to a Church of Christ school um, with a bunch of other Church of Christ kids. Um, so anyway, there was a young man in my class, and uh, he, he is no longer living, um, I'm sad to say, but he I knew he was going to ask me out. I could just tell by the way he was acting. And he's not somebody that I wanted to be close to in any way. (laughs) So I was avoiding him, avoiding, avoiding. And as it turned out, he um, was kind of the mascot for all these boys, all of the rest of the boys in my small class of, I think at that point, there were probably 25 of us, small group, um, private school. And anyway, this kid asked me out. He, He sort of trapped me. Uh, on the front lawn. And um, I sort of sputtered. He he said, would, would you go to the movie with me tonight? And my grandparents were coming in. It was a Friday. They were coming in from Texas. And so I thought, oh, I have an excuse. I said, my grandparents are coming in and I won't be able to do anything. So um, that was that. I did not know that we were being monitored. From inside the front doors of the school by about 10 boys. They were all watching this to see what would happen. And, um, you know, I'm sure he went back to them and reported that I said no. So, meanwhile, my grandparents show up and um, we have dinner, and somebody says, Why don't we go to the movie? And what that means is we go to a movie on the Harding campus which is in the the great big auditorium called the Benson. And all of the profanities have been bleeped out by some very um dutiful media person. So anyway, that's the movie and you're gonna see everybody you know at that movie. So my brother wants to go, so we go. I don't even think about it. I don't even think about this being a problem at all. I show up there, I find my friend Melanie Um, we, we sit with a group of people and then, you know, the movie goes on. I think it was Rocky and, and all the dams and hells and whatever are gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, so on and on the the weekend goes by, I show up to school Monday morning after this. And we are more boys than girls. There are, are three times as many boys. They will not even look at me. They will make no eye contact. If I walk up, they turn their backs and they walk away. And (laughs) I notice this immediately. It's not just one of them. It's not just two of them. It's all of them. They refuse to acknowledge my presence. Um, And I say to Melanie, what is up? It's like they're all mad at me. And she says, they are. Because of what you did to Kim was his name. Because of what you did to Kim. Uh, they are mad at you. And I was just horrified. I, and, and that went on for days, probably weeks. I don't know. It felt like forever as a 13-year-old that they wouldn't, they wouldn't even look at me. It was devastating. So I guess they I relented. I guess they let up on me at some point. But I just remember that being super painful.
1: So I I love hearing your stories, even the painful ones. (laughs) You know, that reminds me, you know, I, I dance a lot socially and I've asked followers to dance and they say no, but they turn around and somebody else asks them and they dance during the song Oh. That I asked them to dance with me.
2: That's very painful.
1: Yeah. So I, your story reminded me of that painful experience. It's That's happened. Cool. A, it's happened a couple of times at different dances. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not a pleasant feeling at all.
2: Well, and the other part of the question that you asked is how how has that changed you or shaped you? What What would you say to that? How has that shaped you? rejection experience?
1: Well, it, it, it made me realize that um, being rejected or not accepted feels embarrassing.
2: Okay, yes.
1: And for me, embarrassment usually stimulates a sympathetic response. So yeah. it, it my heart rate increases. Um, you know, I, I just go into... F- fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize it until now that not being accepted, at least for me, makes me feel embarrassed.
2: Yeah, I resonate with that embarrassment. And it's, you know, usually when I talk to a client who is embarrassed, they'll express that they feel it in their face, which I think is really interesting. The face is, you know, how we meet each other. We meet with our faces first.
1: Yes. And in the future, we'll be having a guest on to talk about polyvagal theory. And, you know, the smart vagus nerve has somatomotor control of the muscles of facial expression, Mm -hmm. expression, especially the muscles around the eyes are what we use to indicate whether we're safe to approach or not. Yeah. So as a therapist, the thing I look for in my clients the most is have their have their eyes have the muscles around their eyes changed mm-hmm. during this session. Yeah. So if they look safer to approach at the end of the session, I call it a success.
2: It's a a relaxation, isn't it, around the eyes?
1: Yes. To me, it looks like their eyes light up.
2: Yeah. They're brighter.
1: Brighter. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Well, so my um, social ostracism experience taught me to just be nice to everybody and say yes. Just say yes because you'll avoid a lot of pain which (laughs) that's not been all that good for me
1: right so that could qualify as preference falsification oh right so the way it worked out that boy probably didn't ask you out anymore no which is what you ultimately wanted so Mm -hmm. if you had just said yes you would have maybe gone to the movie every week after that with the boy. That um, I didn't want to go. It, right.
2: <laughs> right. I don't know. But I paid dearly. I mean, that was,
1: right. that was really,
2: a, really a problem.
1: No good answer.
2: So in a moment, we're going to take a break. Um, and um, we'll come back and, and talk about this. Now, So I'm going to go ahead and present the question so you can be thinking about it. A situation in your life where you're sort of connected but where you also detect less acceptance or mutuality or resonance than you would have wanted. Um, so we'll talk about that um, when we come back from the break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference. But first, need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome to Reconceive. We're back with
2: more on relationships today. And I had just presented a question to Tracy. Uh, tell us about a situation in your life where you're sort of connected, um, but where you can also feel less mutuality, and by that I mean less in the way of um, the natural back and forth. We're, we're both bringing equal measures of feeling into this relationship, and we, we get each other on a kind of an equal level, and we, we know that we're each trying to understand the other. So a, re- a relationship situation where you didn't quite get that.
1: So I want to talk about my current practice, because part of the reconceived radio show is about f- forming a community of therapists. Mm-hmm. We, Deborah and I, have discussed it, and we feel like it would be nice if helpers connected with each other as a way to support each other but oftentimes that doesn't happen and right now my practice is going through a um, metamorphosis mm-hmm. so i currently practice um in a way that it's hard for my clients to connect with me it's hard to build a relationship because of a couple of things so what I do is very different from what other therapists do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I feel alone in that regard because I can't really connect with other therapists right now during the current iteration of what I'm doing.
2: Can you say more about that? How is it different?
1: So I mainly treat what I call software problems. So most of Western medicine looks for hardware problems. So if you have back pain, you go to the doctor and they do an MRI and they look to see if you have a a disc, a bulging disc or a tumor or something like that. Massage therapist, the way I was trained, it was neuromuscular therapy. So I was looking for uh, uh, hyper irritable or hypertonic points within muscles so basically finding knots mm-hmm. hardware mm-hmm. and and treating those in the hopes that the client would get better but in 2017 i started studying proprioceptive deep tendon reflex technique which proved to me that you know 80 to 90% of people's pain complaints maybe even more than that are actually software problems, Mm -hmm. which means sensory receptor dysfunctions, sensory receptors like tickle and itch and vibration and stretch and pressure and hot and cold. Mm -hmm. So I stimulate those in in order to figure out and treat the main cause of the pain and emotions are also mixed in there because... All pain, in my experience with clients, has an emotional component. Yeah. And if you don't as a as a therapist address the emotions, you don't get a complete resolution of the problem.
2: Mm-hmm. So you had to stop mashing and wrestling in your terms. Yes. And you had to start treating people in a way that's much more subtle.
1: Yes. Yes, much more subtle. And much harder to understand because most of us have been led to believe that pain is a simple cause and effect relationship. Yeah. So people come into my office and oftentimes they'll say, fix me, Mm -hmm. because they believe that their pain has an obvious and simple cause. Okay but that's the farthest thing from the truth.
2: So is that what you find people can't relate to or they have trouble relating to you in your in your method?
1: Right. So both things what I do seems too different so it's hard for them to think that it's going to work because it falls out of outside of their perception mm-hmm. of what might work.
2: We call it wizardry.
1: Right, and and then um, that's the that's probably the main block. But they also have this idea that the problem is simple and the answer should be simple. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like like you take your car to the mechanic and right. they put a new part on or yeah. or fix the old part, but. The human body is, you know, far more complex. Yeah. So right now that makes me feel outside of. Yeah. Because I'm the only person that does it. It makes me feel outside of other body workers. Yeah.
2: So professionally, it's hard to find a tribe where you feel that resonance and people get you.
1: Yes. Yes. So that's one aspect of it but also it, the way i work now doesn't promote what i want to m- promote more than anything else which is a relationship with my client mm-hmm. that is ongoing yeah that in in the beginning focuses on my comfort and their comfort mm-hmm. and then we slowly work to build a stronger relationship and we can resolve these pain complaints over a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. Because until we started working on this radio show, I did not realize the importance of the therapeutic relationship.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: So it's kind of two pronged. It's, it's, blocking me from creating a stronger relationship with my clients. And it's also keeping me from feeling part of my tribe of other body workers.
2: So you haven't been able to have that safety feeling of kind of being held in a safe professional space where you're known. You've been sort of on your own.
1: Right. I okay. feel I feel isolated, yeah, because what I do is very different from what other body workers do,
2: yeah, yeah. And you know, I would say, for me, the same is true. I would say that professionally, it is very hard to find people that I really resonate with and who really um, get me. Because, uh, and it's not that I work in, in that different a way. I mean, I, I do a lot of EMDR in my work, and I know a lot of EMDR therapists. In fact, everybody here in this office house is trained in EMDR. So we could talk about that, and we do when we get together. But um, I've always really wanted to mix other things in it. And the the feeling of getting bored, and I'm just going to use that word because I because that's the The truth, feeling like there's got to be more or I want to push the edges of this. I want to keep learning. It's not enough for me to just learn a technique and use it over and over and over again. I want to keep expanding it. I want to make it fun. I want to make it fun for me because I'm sitting in here all day doing it. That is where I see people's faces go blank. The people in my tribe look at me like, what is wrong with you? This could never be boring.
1: So well, that's, that's... well i think i think anything you do daily you know over and over and over has the potential to become boring but i'm i'm like you i want to know more because in my 12 years as a body worker i've discovered more and more answers to the problems that people come to me wanting help for. The tricky thing is when you change how you're practicing Mm -hmm. as a helper, the people who were coming to you before you started transforming, Uh they often will fall away because you're changing what you do. Right. So the expansion can actually cost you clients.
2: Yeah. Which can feel isolating, and alienating and, and lonely in an odd way.
1: Very. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
2: So what is meant by this limbic resonance? And I, I I asked the question, I'm coming from a few different places. If you've seen our show notes um, for today's episode, we've got some books in there. Um, one of them is How Connections Heal, which has been around a long time. Walker and Rosen and that comes from a, the relational a cultural theory world, um, and you know that has to do with the, the way that relationships affect our health, and that when we're in more mutual relationships, we we have that give and take and the the deep knowing of each other, we thrive. We're healthier, and so then in um, other sources, um, one being a book called A General Theory of Love which I highly recommend um, Thomas Lewis and his colleagues. And this book has also been around since like 2000. It's older than I realized, but they they talk a lot about limbic resonance, uh, resonance at the limbic system level, and how important that is um, for attachments to form between babies and their mothers, for attachments to form between lovers, um, for attachments to form between friends, and even for attachments to form between therapists and their clients or patients, um, what exactly is that? Do we know? And do and and can we feel it when it's happening?
1: Well, this is another thing that became clear as I read Amy Banks' book, Wired to Connect. You know, the the third part of the care program, or is resonance Mm -hmm. so that feeling that you were describing yeah and
2: it changes the brain
1: it does and in my practice i've noticed that how i feel has an impact on my clients and how they feel can have a very strong impact on me And I I certainly, I'm sure, don't know of all of the things that play into that. But I know that when I'm in my office with a client, that it's important for me to feel calm and comfortable, because if I don't, it can easily move my client into a state of being that's not helpful Mm -hmm. and doesn't allow for healing to occur.
2: Mm -hmm. So when we are in a state of limbic resonance, we can assume that there's calm. First of all, we can assume that we feel accepted and we're safe. We're not going to be hurt. We're not going to be blasted or criticized. Um, But there's an extra something that is um, activating the limbic system of the brain and that can be perceived it's a it's a kind of deep knowing it's a kind of um, it's a feeling of uh, hope of uh, being able to relate and have fun even to, to kind of know the other person and feel known by them
1: yeah, I love that feeling when you're with somebody that gets you. Yeah. And that's absolutely the best state of being to be in in a therapeutic relationship. Yeah. Or and the any. thing any relationship, true, uh in 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 wired to connect, she calls it a growth fostering relationship.
2: Yeah. You know, what I notice is that it leads to that energy, which is the fourth component in that care system. When I have limbic res- resonance with another human being, I feel energized by it. So even if I'm working, I leave that hour with more energy than I had before.
1: So. I l- I l- yeah, I, l- I love it with a third of Therapy recession goes that way, or really any relationship. Yeah. Yeah. What I've realized studying all this, reading all of this material that we've been reading to prep for these shows is that meeting anybody where they are is, in my mind, the most important thing. So people need to feel safe, where they are. Mm -hmm. And for any type of learning, which I believe my sessions with clients are learning sessions. Mm -hmm. So I always ask my clients if they're able to perceive differences, not because I want them to notice how great the work I'm doing is, but the ability to perceive differences is what provides you with new information and allows you to expand beyond or become more than what you are. Mm.
2: We can use that in relationship too, the ability to perceive difference. So when I'm talking with one person, I feel sort of resonant, but not quite. I feel accepted okay, but not quite understood. But then when I'm talking to this person, I I can feel my energy coming up. I feel myself being known. I get a new idea. I feel more awake and alive. And so noticing just the subtle differences in how I'm able to relate with one person versus another, that seems really key to developing our relational life.
1: And and beyond that are once you once you're able to recognize those differences. So Anat Banyel calls the perception of differences the basis of intelligence. Once you're able to recognize that resonance and the differences between how you resonate with this person compared to this person, Are there ways that you can make it easier for you to resonate with more people more easily?
2: Good question.
1: And I I believe there are. are. Okay. Because a lot of our behavior is driven by, you know, the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. The the smart vagus allows for social engagement health, growth, and restoration, mm-hmm. and you can promote that by using your facial expressions to indicate to the person you're with that you're safe to be with. Yeah, And also using your facial muscles in the, that way sends a message to your own brain that you are happy to be talking to this person, so things must be good.
2: So if I smile at you, I'm signaling to my brain, my body, that I, I'm safe. Things are good.
1: Yes. And you're signaling to me yeah. that you're safe to approach. Mm-hmm. And now we can. That's a good beginning. That's a good beginning. Yeah.
2: Some of these things are basic to counseling skills, right? All all the mental health people out there know these things on some level, but it may be a long time since you've applied them to yourself, or it may be a long while since you have actually thought about your own relational life as part of your self-care, which I think is ultimately what we're coming to today. Your relational life is a key component in your self-care. So, attending to it and noticing differences between how you feel in relation to this person or that person, and then stocking your week with contact with people who you feel deep resonance with, that seems more important to me than going to the gym.
1: Right. I love this uh, idea of self-care actually being reaching out and forming relationships.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. But, you know, Stephen Porges, the author of Polyvagal Theory, talks about, he says, seeking safety is a neural exercise. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're seeking comfort or safety, you're actually improving your nervous system in a way that helps you resonate with other people
2: love as a neural
1: exercise.
2: I've been thinking a lot about love. I, I told you that I would be coming back to this word. Um, what, is, what is love? And, you know, why do psychologists not talk about it very often? Because we, we have so many different definitions of it. But here's my thought about love and the importance of love for the therapist. I'm coming to think that everything we do is love, do you buy that?
1: I do. I I had a teacher a long time ago. He he made the point that the main thing to think about after a session with a client was how much love did you share?
2: Oh, yeah. So he was onto this.
1: He was. And it took so much pressure off of me
2: yeah.
1: as a beginning body worker. Yeah. Because it's impossible to get rid of everybody's pain, especially yeah. in the beginning when I wasn't thinking about their emotional drivers of the pain they came to me. Mm-hmm. So thinking how much love did I share, which is it became a goal of every session, took a lot of pressure off of me as a therapist.
2: It takes you off a certain kind of hook. So what if we're what if we're sharing love? what If therapy is love, what if everything you do in your work is love? How does that change the way you feel about going into work? How does that change the way you feel about even expressing um, anger or irritation? Because I actually believe that all of that is every time we express a feeling of any kind to another, we are sharing love because we're sharing part of ourselves.
1: Yes. And, you know, sometimes those expressions that feel jarring can be what the person you're talking to needs to hear. So I I agree. Yeah. And this is working with you. You know, when you first start talking about love, I was I kept thinking, I'm not sure what that is. But what it comes down to for me is this idea of meeting the person where they are. Ooh.
2: Yeah, that's love.
1: That that feels like love to me.
2: Meeting the person where they are. Well, I had to bring some philosophers into this. And um, here as we kind of come to the end of our hour, uh, I want to read something from Elaine Badiou. Badiou, am I saying that right? The French not, philosopher.
1: Don't ask me. <laughs> okay.
2: Alain Badieu says, love is a truth procedure. What is universal is that all love suggests a new experience of truth about what it is to be two and not one. And So if you think about what we're doing in our work, what we're doing in our friendships and our, our families uh, as a truth
1: procedure, Will you read that one more time?
2: What is universal is that all love suggests a new experience of truth about what it is to be two and not one.
1: I love it. I'll have to let that filter through. Let that
2: filter. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll be talking a whole lot about love as we go through. Um, and I hope that you've been able to glean something today that you can use in your practice and in your self-care. So, do you have a come home to the body for us?
1: Well, I I want I want to say because a lot uh, instead of a come home to the body exercise, I would just like to say because this is a discovery that I made, you know, on life's journey, and Deborah really brought it into stark relief when last night we were discussing the show, and she talked about relationship as self-care. If if you feel isolated, if you feel depressed or whatever, seek comfort, seek safety, and really break away from this idea that independence is the ultimate goal for us. Reach out. I wish, looking back on times of in my life, When I felt isolated, I was clinging to this idea where I should be independent. Mm -hmm. And I look back on those times and I think, I wish I had reached out because I had many people that would have been there for me.
2: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And we sort of know it, but we forget it when we're in distress. So we're saying to you, helpers, reach out get some limbic resonance with someone you deeply trust make a new friend if you if you don't have anyone who fits that description um so write to us please at reconceivetherapy at gmail.com and next time we're with you we'll be talking with Aaron Owens about your brain on movement
1: awesome thank you all
0: thank you bye-bye Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.